Hallelujah. Morning. I'm so glad you all could make it and that you didn't stay in bed with a cup of hot chocolate or coffee or whatever and a croissant with uh, jam and cream and butter and uh, <laughs> anybody want some fruit? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So this is a uh, this morning is a great privilege for me. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen Andy and Penny, you know, and uh, they were. They've always been in and around my life for many years and every now and again some years would pass and then there would be a contact and uh, over the last short while the Lord put it on, on Andy's heart, my uncle Andy put it on Andy's heart to, to actually just start making more connection with me and I, and I of course, I have a very busy life. He lives in Cape Town. They live in Cape Town. Their whole family lives in Cape Town. And so uh, I had planned to go and do something in Cape Town, and that changed. And I had planned to go and visit them, and that changed. And so as I began to pray about it, I felt by the leading of the Holy Spirit that this camp meeting weekend would give us an opportunity to go over some things and to hear some things that... Uh, would come out by the Holy Spirit. So, there are things that are going to come out of His mouth today that I don't know. I mean, just coming, just before we came here, He, he, he talked about a, a, a missionary that we both knew that stayed in my dad's house. Of course, uh, I was still a very young boy when I met him and so my interaction with him was as an eight-year-old's would be, very, very simple. But nevertheless, the man, the presence of the man and, and the power of his commitment with God impacted me even as an eight-year-old boy, you know. And, um, and so this morning he, he made reference to the relationship that he had with him. So I didn't know that. And so we, I asked him, and we are going to talk some about that today. So, we are going to just flow with the Holy Spirit. We have got a little structure that we're going to try and see if we can stick with the structure. But, um, the Holy Spirit can do whatever He wants at any given time. You know, and that's the, that's the wonder of it. Uh, to give you some background, um, the most interaction that I had with, with Andy was... Uh, when I was, when he was the associate pastor in my dad's church, and uh, sometimes they used to sing together, um, and uh, he used to he used to be the the lead pastor, if you like, for youth camps uh, that we used to have in in Fariesburg, Albay, Clarence area. You did those days. Clarence wasn't even on the map like it is today, but Fariesburg was there and we used to have camps there and God would, would move on those youth camps, you know. 
and uh, and he he drove me down there one day in in which was a state of the art vehicle, one of those Volvos. We were talking about it, a white Volvo with a red leather interior, and it had that that back that went like that. And some of you that are old enough will know what I'm talking about. All of you youngsters, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but. <laughs> But it was a state-of-the-art vehicle at that time, and I felt very privileged that I could go down to the camp riding in the back of his car, you know. So, so there's a lot of stuff that we are going to try and focus more on the spiritual things and more on the relationships that God had uh, established in our lives, in his life, his, his time with my dad, um, uh, and some of what Penny has gone through, and uh, if the opportunity uh, allows it, we will. Penny can share her testimony of of also how God healed her from a stroke that she had. And um, so there's there's lots for us to cover, and we'll just see whether we just keep going, or whether we have a break in between. But I'm expecting that as as some things come out from the legacy that the Holy Spirit will speak that there will be an encounter for all of us with the Lord. Amen. So let me introduce you to Pastor Andy and Penny May. Please come forward. Don't you give them a hand everybody. The step is a bit higher. Yes, I'm watching it. Thank you. Good day, Andy. Good. Praise the Lord. Don't these people look fine? Beautiful. Beautiful people. Hallelujah. So perhaps we can uh, open in prayer and then we'll just ask them to start talking. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord that in these moments that we have here today, in this interview, that you will speak and that even though we are talking about relationships and things that have happened in the past, we know that in your uh, timeline of the heavenly realm, those things that happened in our human past are things that in your eternal timeline of as real as yesterday or right now. And so we, we, along with the great cloud of witnesses, we bear witness of who you are in our lives and who you have been in our lives. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you will use, use our minds and use our mouths and you will bring things to our remembrance and you will cause us to have a flow of the Spirit. It will minister both life to us and to everybody that will hear this interview in the future. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So perhaps, because you're going to do quite a bit of the talking, <laughs> Penny, perhaps you can start and just talk about yourself as a, as a mom, as a spiritual person in the church, and, and all of the personal things. That should be on. Hello, can you... Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I wasn't 
pre-warned about the question, so I have to give it a little bit of thought. But I didn't grow up as a born-again Christian. In our home, we were God-fearing. We went to church. We did all the right things. And then in my standard nine year, um, I gave my life to the Lord. And I phoned an aunt who, or no, my mother's aunt, who had been praying for our family. And prayer is important. And I'll give you a bit of background to that too. Um, So I phoned her and I said, where must we go to church? Because the church that we were going to, although they preached the gospel and we were teaching Sunday school there, my mother and my sister and myself, my dad, hmm. (laughs) yeah, Um, he came later. Uh, Yeah, so she told us to go to an Assemblies of God church in Norwood. And that's where I met Andy. He was in the choir. And this wonderful looking guy in the choir <laughs> who had, I must tell you, all the girls, he was a very eligible bachelor and had all the girls chasing him. You can ask John. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I he, waited. He had, he had to seek counsel from my dad because all the girls. Yeah. yeah. So, so it took me four years to catch him and reel him in. <laughs> <laughs> but I got him. <laughs> yeah. All right, so then we got married 40, uh, 46 years ago. Uh, at the end of this year, it will be 47, God willing. And yeah, we've served the Lord together in quite a few churches. We have three lovely children, and praise God, they all serve God too. And you have some grandchildren too? And we have some grandchildren. I should have given you photos of the grandchildren. Yeah. Oh, I love to brag about them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a privilege to serve the Lord. And yeah, we, we served with Reg and Villa. And it was a privilege to, to know that the Lord chooses anybody. You don't have to be a saint because I certainly wasn't that. I hadn't grown up. I didn't know. In fact, I don't even think at that stage when I gave my life to the Lord whether I knew whether Abraham or Moses came first in the Bible. (laughs) I knew the stories. We'd heard them at Sunday school. But it's amazing how God can still use you and still... um, Yeah, he can do something. Yeah, take you on. So I have with Andy's help, <laughs> reared three children. Um, and yeah, as I say, they're all serving God. I thank God for that. Amen. Um, because in today's society, it's not easy sure. to have children and grandchildren. And we've been hearing a bit of that, what the devil's trying to do. Yeah. But our God is good. Yes. And he's able to do abundantly above what we can ask or ever imagine. So we've had a very exciting life. We've been in Cape Town now 22 years, um, helping in a church there. And we went down as the pastoral couple. And that's my heart. I have a heart for people. I want to see people be overcomers in Christ. I want to see people rise to their full potential in Christ. I want people to know 
that God loves them. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Anymore. Thank you. That's a wonderful start. Thank you, Penny. Right. Yeah. So, Andy, would you talk about how your family, your background from as way back as you want to start? Okay. But, but uh, I will, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I promise not to tell you anything about him that you don't want to hear. Yeah. There is nothing. <laughs> I was born in a house with his dad where the title deeds were signed by Paul Kruger. So, ons is deel van die geschiedenis van Suid-Afrika. How's that? I was just thinking um, about camp meeting when I was listening to Pastor Sharon reading about camp meetings. When I was a little boy, um, seven, eight, nine years old, we used to, we lived in Krugersdorp and we used to go through to Johannesburg to um, Fairview Assemblies of God. I think Pastor John had been there. And that's where I gave my heart to the Lord at the age of nine. You know, I found out um, two days ago that Smith Wigglesworth got saved when he was eight or nine. Really? Yeah. yeah. So I've been a Christian, what, nearly 70 years now. You never stop learning. Can I say that? Yes. Don't ever think you've arrived. There's always much more. And I think Pastor Don will mention some of that just now. As we came here this morning, it was wonderful... The vibe in your church, to me, and I've been in, we've probably served in about six churches. You've got something special here. The way you guys worship and all the new songs and this gentleman here that gets carried away every now and then. No, not uh, me. <laughs> you know what? He's passionate about what he does. And if you're not passionate about your church, or your marriage, you've got a housekeeping arrangement. And who wants to live like that? Life is exciting. When we were coming here today, I don't know why it flashed into my mind. In the Old Testament, when God, uh, when the children of Israel were going through the 40 years in the wilderness, they used to pitch the tabernacle, which is where, where God lived in the ark. And then they'd have three tribes, three tribes, three tribes, three tribes. And, and then the glory of the Lord would come down in the middle. And I think all the tents used to face the middle. Yeah. So that if any Israelite woke up in the middle of the night, he'd see the pillar of fire. And if he woke up during the day, there was a pillar of cloud. But the message for us today, in our day and age, you know, to a lot of Christians, and I mean, I've, I've met lots of Christians, to a lot of Christians, church is peripheral to their lives. I'll never forget one of the leaders of, uh, we're part of the Assemblies of God Church. One of our leaders said, you know, to a lot of Christians, God is a hobby. Now, hobbies are lovely things to have. If you want to build airplanes or you want to go diving or whatever, but you fit it in when you can. He says, God's not a hobby. He's the center of your life. And it's such a thrill to see all of you here today that you have taken the trouble to come here on an Easter weekend for a camp meeting. And I got saved at a camp meeting in 1952. So you work out how old I am. But you know what? It's exciting. The older I get, the more I want to know more. I mean, particularly when I'm, I'm 78 now. 
I think, Lord, how much time have I got left? And he keeps saying to me, the best is yet to come. You must have that attitude to life. Hey, you're not coming into land. We're taking off. You know, you were talking all about missiles. I thought, wow, I'm a missile. <laughs> and then, so we grew up together. His dad, uh, I'm an only child, so I told everybody I'm still a bit of a brat. Um, his dad and his dad's sister, we grew up together in this massive house that I told you about. Whole families, we had three families living together. And it was a massive yard, and we used to play... I don't know if you understand all the Afrikaans games. I used to play Keniki and Khafi and Slang and, you know, that's where I grew up. And uh, his dad could always climb higher in the tree than I could. Really, I'm not kidding. I, could, I don't know if that tree's still there. But uh, eventually when I grew up and I got a bit bigger, I could climb that high in the tree. His dad and I climbed on the garage roof and made a parachute out of a sheet. So I didn't know that. That's where I got parachuting from, you see. <laughs> well, he's a paramedic. Yeah. 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 But the problem was we hit the ground before the parachute came off the roof. So his dad and I used to go, and you know what a, a foofy slide is? I don't think it's an English word for a foofy slide. And fortunately, but his dad fell off the foofy slide and broke his arm. So I didn't break anything. But I mean, we got into some mischief. His dad taught me to ride on a bicycle. I had a little bicycle about this big. It was called a fairy cycle. It had tiny little wheels. And he used to put me on this thing and push me. And then let me go. <laughs> you know, I'd go until I fell over. So we had a lot of fun together. And uh, we traveled, I traveled with his dad and his mom. We traveled nearly 22,000 miles around America uh, through 31 states. Um, I could tell you stories about that trip forever, but um, I, I think I think it's worth mentioning the the Pensacola yeah, and I, how, how you yeah. arrived at the church that became yeah. quite meaningful. Yeah. yeah, he's he's just like his dad. When I hear him preach, his dad used to say, "I'm coming into land," and then he take off again, <laughs> and then we land three times until eventually we're just flying around the aerodrome, you know. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> I've got a new word. <laughs> if I'm flying, I'm just telling you I'm flying. Yeah, what do they call it? Circuits and bumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we were, um, it was your grandfather that gave us, I think it was a thousand rand. We bought an Oldsmobile in, you, in uh, Teen Challenge. Do you know Dave Wilkerson and Crossing the Switchblade? We went to that place. A very tough place. They had barbed wire fences around it. When you came to the gate, you had to push a button and they check who you are. I mean, Brooklyn in New York at that stage was dangerous. In fact, our introduction to traveling, we were traveling off in our car and a guy in a Cadillac rode into the back of us. So, I mean, Brooklyn was something else. But, um, so we, we, spent, we spent a lot of time there. And then we took this car and we traveled from, from um, right down through the, through the southern states, Right through, uh, well, anyway, what we tried to do, his dad was studying church organizations, so we wanted to go to different churches. I'll never forget one church we went to, um, where they had a big Hammond organ. And this organ, they kept playing right through the service. And the pastor was, he really was loud. 
and there was an, an elderly lady sitting in the front chair, and right in the middle of all this noise, she went to sleep. <laughs> and, and he keeps playing the Hammond organ, yeah? And then all of a sudden, uh, he introduces, you know, Pastor Redsman Dixon from South Africa. And Reds was, he was, pardon me if I don't call him Pastor Reds. I never ever call him Pastor Reds. But Reds, uh, I respect him deeply. Um, he, he realized that these people were all going to sleep because of the noise. So he got up and he said, uh, it's nice to be here. You know, they all woke up. They said, what did you say? And then he, then, he, then he preached. And the way we lived on that whole trip was, and, and some of the pastors would do this, they'd make your dad stand in front with, with a basket and then wait for the people to come up with offering in the basket. Most, most, most embarrassing. But that's how we lived. And we, we traveled in that Oldsmobile, it was about 13 and a half thousand miles. But anyway, the way he, we used to uh, look for churches was he'd take the telephone directory. So we're now coming into Pensacola, which that was 1968, it was the middle of the Vietnam War. And uh, there were American aircraft carriers in the bay. Um, and the pastor we were staying with, we arrived in this church and it was right in the middle of his service because we didn't know what time the service started. And uh, we heard them, they were speaking in tongues and interpretation. And then after the service, he said, well, where do you guys come from? So we said, from South Africa. He said, well, come stay with us. You talk about hospitality, southern hospitality. They were, they were fantastic. And he was part of what was then the Methodist church. And then he had now become Pentecostal, and they kicked him out of the church. So he was in this little house in the middle of a, of a forest where he was conducting services. He was one of the United States Navy's Blue Angels. That's an aerobatic team. If you want to Google Blue Angels, these guys fly six aircraft in formation like this. So they took us to survival camps that if they bailed out in Vietnam, you could eat this snake, but don't eat that snake. And it was fascinating stuff. But what a, what a legacy. And then uh, we went to Baton Rouge, which is in, the, in Louisiana. But he, but he did something for my dad that you were telling me about, that actually ended up becoming a record. A record, yeah. Um, you know how musical Pastor Edge was. Um, so this guy had a studio, and he got a couple of musicians together, you know, like, like goth guys who can play anything. I can read music, but I can't play like goth. I wish I could. And he made a record there. Which I've still got a copy of it. So then we traveled through all through the, the southern states, we went into San Francisco, we went up through San, San Francisco, through Oregon, through Washington, into British Columbia. Um, I'll never forget, at that stage, that car was nearly worn out. The exhaust pipe it, it was loose, and it was dragging on the road. So we looked like a jet plane. There was sparks coming out the back as this thing was, um, we, we, and you can imagine seven liters, without an exhaust pipe. It, we sounded like a whole squadron of jets coming in. Because Reg had to preach, he had a preaching date in Kitimat, which is the closest point on the North American continent to Japan. The two biggest, the Americans call aluminum, aluminum. The two biggest aluminum plants in the world were there. Uh, I mean, I could go on forever. Yeah. 
But well, I, 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 think, I think perhaps I can uh, ask you about your experience. And uh, uh, you were probably already part of our lives then, Penny, when we were in, uh, in the German school hall yes. in Hillbrow. Yes. And perhaps you, could, perhaps you can tell us just your experience of what was happening when we moved out of Summit House into the German school hall and the, and the kind of spirit of revival and, and anointing that was happening yeah. in the church at that time. What had happened was that the church that Andy and I met in, uh, the pastor at the time, sold the church and pocketed the money. So now we had a congregation. This is just going <laughs> to... Now we had a congregation without a church a hall. So we moved into Summit House, as John said, which was an office block in Bromfontein. Um, and let me tell you, it didn't stop the people coming. We all had to now go up in the lift to the third floor. You can imagine getting 200 people up in the lift every Sunday and back down again. And then we moved to um, the to German the Ger school. old German Lutheran school hall. Well, in Hillbrow. It, it wasn't the state of the art type of building, I can tell you that. That's probably all I'm going to say. <laughs> but you could find um, in the corridors on a Sunday morning and when you came early, there would be a heap of uh, newspapers and there would be one of the drunkies who's okay. gone to sleep. Um, they're waiting. But you know what? Some of them even came to church sometimes. So praise God. We were there. And God just moved mightily in those meetings. Um, I reckon we got three, four hundred people. At least, yeah. Yeah, at least three, four hundred people. Um, where we had Reg's um, pastor and Andy associate. Um, yeah, it was because of Andy that he called Reg in right. to come and take over where we didn't have a pastor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, Andy was instrumental, instrumental in, in, in getting him across. I, I was a deacon, and we didn't have a pastor because, as Penny said, the pastor had sold the church and he took off for the money. Can you believe it? And then I got hold of Rich, my cousin, and he became our senior pastor. I just wanted to tell you a story about the German Lutheran Hall. It goes back to the time of Paul Kruger. Further down in Joburg, in Davilius Street, I think it is, was the Jewish rabbi. And the Jewish rabbi went to Paul Kruger, who was the overseer of the whole area for the Transvaal, and he said, why did you give the German Lutherans twice as much land as you gave to the Jews? He says, because you only believe in half the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> You talk about the vice-state funny, oh, president. I said, that really happened, eh? I thought that was funny, yeah. But we had, we, had, we had a wonderful time there. We used to get alcoholics coming in off the street. And I mean, we started a home for alcoholics, and it was, a, it was hard work, eh? I mean, I would give them a pair of shoes, and then they'd hand it, sell it, and go and buy booze. And I remember one night, one of them got, got uh, violent. And another one of my friends that we're still in contact with had to take a brick and knock him out so they could you know, so sort of curb him down. But anyway, 
Where's some stories? Quentin and Paula, I don't want you using bricks, please. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that really happened. So, you know, church is a lot of fun, isn't it? You know, don't ever be a bored Christian because then you, you got the wrong Jesus. That's right. He was full of ideas and creativity and, and he's like that. So you're blessed. Well, Amen. praise the Lord. You want to say something, Penny? No? I was just going to say that it, it was an opportunity where we have open ministry. And, and I think that grew the young people in the church because uh, we would say that you could have two or at the most three tongues and interpretations um, and yeah, people would, would come so prepared, ready to give, as the word says we should be, um, so prepared to give a word from the Lord that we had to say, okay, that's three, we've had enough, you can't talk anymore. And then they had open ministry as well where you would come prepared with a word from God, um, a teaching. And they would start at the back there and race to the front and, and the first three to the front then got the three positions. But, but it built um, a desire for the word. And Reg, as you know, is, a, is an amazing teacher. So he inspired that seeking and digging in the word for yourself. Hello? Uh, seeking and, and looking in the word for yourself to minister to other people. There was, there was a a contagious spirit there that you you just wanted more of the, and more of the word. Yeah, that's about. So that's what I was telling you. If you remember, I've been telling you all. When I grew up as a young guy, I was always ready on a Sunday morning to preach, yes. because there was this opportunity that was in the assemblies of God Church at that time. That's the way church was run, and uh, you know, a lot of very accurate doctrine kind of issues <laughs> that were established um, at that time. Some of them good and some not so good, but praise the Lord, we got through it. Could I just endorse what Pastor John is saying? Something I think very important for every church member. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, When you meet together, you come with something to give. Now, I'm not picking on anybody, but what did you come with to give this morning? It's not that I come here just to preach or to talk. I must, he said you come with a psalm, with a hymn, with a spiritual song, with a prophecy, with a revelation. In other words, when I go to church now, and we've been praying for you guys for a long time now, that some kind of supernatural lightning will strike today. Amen. But when I go to church, it says you come with something to give. Don't ever leave the church service and say, I've got nothing out of that. You know why? It's your fault. Because I didn't come with something to give. Am I making sense? Yes. It's an attitude of, I've come to bless you. Even if I'm sitting right at the back and I've only been here for one week, I've come to bless you. It's in the Bible. Amen. Yes. I mean, I think that's, uh, I mean, that's an important thing, that when you come to church, you come to say, let my spirit... And we've talked about this a lot. Let the Spirit of Christ that's in me, let it minister to someone else. You come to give a smile. You come to give, uh, and the Lord might tell you to do other things, give a word of encouragement, whatever it is, you know. And, uh, 
And if you come with that attitude that I come to give and to receive, then, then we, have a healthy, we have a healthy life in the Lord. Because it puts a responsibility on you to actually be prepared to come to church. And not just come to church to say, well, let's see how well Pastor John's going to perform today. How many times he's going to land and take off and land and take <laughs> off. <laughs> so, um, Andy, I know there's some things that you want to share. And, uh, and uh, um, you, had, you want to talk about be still. And there's a scripture that, that you have. So if you can put that scripture, it's Psalm, Psalm 46, if you can put it on the screen. Yes, Psalm 46 verse 10. I don't know about you, I mean I've been a Christian, as I said, nearly 70 years now. But there's one verse that the Lord has, and I say this carefully, hammered into me. And whenever, whenever I'm in trouble or I've lost a plot in life, I've got to go back to that scripture and read it again. I, I've got dozens of Bibles at home, and every time I've underlined Psalm 46 verse 10. And all Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. But the English word for still is untranslatable. It means to stop striving. If you're a striving Christian, you're not still. It means to relax. Mm. You know, I think you were talking about this last night. Uh, Pastor Jerry's learning, he's got to sit still. And quite often the Lord doesn't want me to be running around. He wants me to be still. Let me say this to you. It's the most difficult thing in my life to be still. Because I'm, I'm, I'm wired up. And I think we come from a family of wired up preachers. You know. <laughs> what are we going to do next? The Lord says, just come and minister to me. You know, one thing we can do in church quite often is we come here, we, we love praying, we love preaching, we love singing. The Lord says, whatever you do, you're doing it for me. So to take that word, um, it means to let go. It means to let it be. The one translation says, come in out of the traffic. It means to be silent. One of the hardest things I've learned is it means to stop asking questions. I don't know about you, but I'm forever saying, Lord, why this and why that? I mean, in our church, I've just had three of my best friends passed away in the last two months. And I prayed for them every day. And I said, Lord, what am I not believing properly? What's, what's up, Lord? But be still has got a, a result to it. When you are still, you'll know that I'm God. And I, I got stuck on that one, and this is just, I'll do this in a minute. All the movers and shakers of the Bible, all of them, had one ambition. I want to know God. And I mean, I, I sat and I, I sort of browsed through Bible history. Abraham was God's friend. God said, I want to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because those guys are bad. Shall I tell my friend Abraham? And then, you know, Abraham negotiated. You know the story. Moses. The Bible says that Moses was the meekest man who ever lived, obviously next to Jesus. Yeah. Exodus 33. The Lord is now talking. You know, it actually says, 
that the Lord spoke to him face to face. I, I can't quite explain it because at one stage the Lord said, you can't see my face. Yeah. But he said he, he talked to him like the two of them were chatting. Hey, you know, if you were listening to what Pastor John was saying last night, hey, do you chat to the Lord? Do you know that he's interested in where you shop? He's interested in, in, in whether you like hamburgers. He's interested in whether you like milkshakes. He's interested in keeping your car clean. I'm just... You know, he's interested in you not having milkshakes and not having hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, he's interested when you fast and pray to you. Yeah. <laughs> but he's interested in, in everything that we do. So there's no, there's no little thing, you know, to a lot of people, church lives here, or God lives here. He doesn't. He's going home with you. He said, I'll never leave you. You know, Pastor John was saying, if you lived in the Ukraine now, and I mean, I'm a student of world wars. I, I've watched the, the French people running away from the Wehrmacht, pushing kids in prams and carrying babies and everything they've got just to get away from the enemy. And we've got an enemy, we heard it last night so vividly, he wants to steal, kill and destroy. He's, of course, he's behind World War I and World War II. He's behind the, all the wars we've ever fought in. You know why? Because he wants to kill us. That's right. You know, you know very simply the reason I thought of, why does the devil hate you? Because he said, and, and uh, uh, we heard it here last night, he said, I will be like the Most High. And the Most High said, no, no, there's just two of us here and I'm not leaving. And Jesus said, I saw him like lightning. You know why lightning, Lucifer, is the Latin word for light. That's why Las Vegas and all these joints are so lit up. They're beautiful, aren't they? Yeah. The light attracts you. Yeah. It's like a moth going to a candle and it gets burnt. So be still and know that I'm God. It's been a verse that's all, all my life. Oh, I, I wanted to finish this. King David in Psalm 27. He says, one thing, that's another word I want to share with you that's meaningful to me, is focus. <laughs> David says, Lord, one thing I desire of you, that I can dwell in your house, to behold, the old English Bible says beauty, it means to behold your perfection, and inquire in your temple and ask you questions. Yes. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul. He said, I've only got one ambition. I want to know him, and you mentioned it last night, and the power of your resurrection. So, you know, that's what I got out of, you know, I, I just want to quote, uh, years ago in our church, the head of the Assemblies of God in the UK, David Sherman, came out. And he was talking about Christians resting. Now, most of us work hard so we can go on holiday. He said, no, no, you rest, you work from a position of rest. We all rest from a position of work. It's back to front. Because if I'm still at no God, I work from a position of rest. Take that to heart, please, because if you're agitated right now and sort of battling with life, hey, you're not resting. So that verse... All my life, Pastor John, it's been hammered into me. Yeah, that's a very, very powerful concept that you work from a position of rest. I mean, uh, 
I think it's, it's essential if you're working from a position of, of performance and you're working from a position of achievement and results, you can't rest because you have to be driven towards the, the end result. But if you're in a position of rest, that means your trust is in God. So again, it's uh, in our language that we talk in, the, in this church, it's, it's not that you don't spend energy. God has given us energy to expend. And so that's work. But you do it from a, from a position where your energy has already been uh, given to God. And when He's first, then you rest in the way that you spend your energy. So work is, as I've said to you guys before, work is, is, a, is your worship. And it can only be your worship when you have that rest in God and you have that trust that is in God. You know. I'd like to ask, I'd like to ask Penny, Penny, over the years that you have uh, uh, been in so many different churches and, and experienced many different uh, um, leadership styles, and how did you adapt as, number one, a congregation member, an associate, pastors, you know, family, and then, and then how did you kind of cope with all of that? It's quite a question um, to answer because I think a lot of us, I looked for a spiritual mother when I gave my life to the Lord because my mother came to the Lord after me. So as much as I love my mother dearly and she's, she's, a real, she's still alive, she's 90, and um, she has prayed our immediate family, all of them. We all got together for her 90th birthday. Um, there were about 35 of us, and she had prayed most of us into the kingdom of God. But in the church, I believe it's very important to have role models. And so I looked for role models. Because when I married Andy, except, I can't remember whether... <laughs> Whether you were associate pastor, I think you were. It was. It yeah, was. you were associate pastor then. So for me to go as a new Christian into that role, I looked, and I know that Villa was a, a role model to me, uh, John's mother and um, late mother. And yeah, she was an amazing lady. But um, I looked for people who would be a role model. And I think it's important, especially for the young people, find someone that you can talk to. You mustn't talk to everybody. So when I had a problem, I don't go and tell everybody about my problem. Oh, you know, so-and-so, ooh. In fact, it was something that our children pointed out to us years later because a friend of one of my daughters said to her, we can see that your family didn't go home and have the pastor for lunch and pull him apart. And so we've, we've tried to live by that in our lives, that being, especially in a position of leadership, we had to learn about confidentiality. Yes. And we had to learn that, hang on, if someone comes to us, and especially because I love the pastoral and the counseling side of, of God's work, we had to learn that if someone came to us, there was no circumstance that I would go to somebody else. In fact, I even asked permission from the people if I can please tell Andy. Because I don't take that for granted. It's something that we had to learn. So that was 
one of the things that I, I think I had to learn very young yes. in my Christian walk was being in a position of leadership, a position where people have looked to me as a spiritual mother, although I didn't always feel like one, <laughs> because, you know, um, I can remember in one of the churches after we got married, we went to um, Pastor Ridge asked us to go and minister in a church in Honeydew in Johannesburg. And I can remember one of the ladies coming to me and saying, I'd love to pluck your eyebrows. I said, what's wrong with my eyebrows? No. <laughs> People think because you're on stage that, that they can help you and design you and, you know, fit a certain model. But, and so you have to be... Authentic. You, but you have to be content with who yes. God has made yes. you yes. And, and, and learn to accept who you are. And I was not a confident person growing up. I could not say a speech in front of the class. My matric orals were a nightmare. And so when God asked me to come and now be a pastor's wife and speak in front of people sometimes and give my testimonies, you're asking me something, but I thank God that when I am weak, He is strong. And so that, that was something I learned. I've learned too that with the different types of leadership, um, not everybody does the thing the same way as we do. So I have to learn that I submit to the leadership of the church. And I can see that you do that in this church just by your respect of calling Pastor John, Pastor John. Um, but not only that, I can call him Pastor John and still be rebellious inside. <laughs> but I know that your position, I know that you are submitting to the leadership and the oversight of this church. And it was something that I had to do, even though I didn't always feel I like to do it the way the leader does it. That's not my call. I've been called to God to a particular church, then I must do it the way that the leader... When Andy was the, the pastor of the, the little church in Honeydew, I submitted to him. It's totally different. Submitting to a husband and to, to the leader of the church. Yes. They're two different people. Okay. Um, your husband, or Andy, was anointed when he came up and spoke. And, and... When he was at home, he had to be... <laughs> real. <laughs> yeah. And we gave, as, as Pastor John was saying, he gives Sharon grace and, and she gives him grace. We had to learn to do that. So, yeah, I'm just saying that those are things I had to learn... It doesn't come naturally, not to me anyway. Um, it's, to, a, it's a spiritual force it, that God begins to grow in you, right? Then as you give yourself to it and say, yes, Lord, I'll do it, then, yeah. then he begins to give you that grace and to learn and to keep growing yes. in that, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and then another thing I had to do, uh, because you've been called by God into the church, 
you have to find where you fit and your unique identity and your unique calling and who am I? And I'm not, we joke about it now, but I was always Andy's wife. <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't Penny, I was Andy's wife. And, and then it became the children's mother. And, but now I know beyond a doubt that I know that I have a special call on my life. I know that there's certain things that God's gifted me with. And I use those in the church. And now Andy jokes, because he retired before I did, that he became Penny. Penny's husband. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Say anything else you want me to? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the second point that uh, before he talks anything about Penny and uh, you know that dynamic, but you wanted to talk about only believe as your as your something you wanted to say, Andy. You know the Bible says the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God, and I must admit I've wrestled with definitions of faith. For years, what what is faith? Um, Smith Wigglesworth, that Pastor John quotes every, of every now and then, says, "Faith is God in the human vessel." And one of the verses which has been um, I mean, the, the, the phrase "only believe" came from Jairus. You remember, his little girl was dying, and then he said, "I'll come and heal her." And then that lady with the hemorrhage of blood, she said, if I just touch him, I'll get healed. And, and so there was a delay. So sometimes, maybe this is for somebody here today, God has said, I'm coming to do it for you, but there's been a delay. And then they came with a message from Jairus's household, and they said, don't bother the master, she's dead. Then Jesus said to him, I'm still coming, only believe. And what I've done, um, I like visualization. Uh, you know, visualization is a massive principle that in faith you see things before they materialize. I mean, I can imagine God in creation saying, hey, I'm going to make light. Let there be light. Let there be sun, moon, and stars. I don't know about you. But I think you've got a nice clear sky here. There's sometimes I sit on a veranda at home and I just look up there and I said, that little star and that little star and it's so many millions of light years away and he made all this for me to look at night, just for me to look at. I mean, what a God. Yeah, how big is your God? Hey, he's, he's bigger than you think. He's bigger than you think. I was, just a brief word of testimony, I was born with a, a, a blood disease called hemochromatosis. Uh, when I was about 45, my knees were hurting me, my shoulders were hurting me, and I was sick. Through a long medical process, I mean, I probably consulted about 10 specialists. They found out that I had too much iron in my body, and the iron was rubbing all my cartilage away. So 2011, my knees were so sore I couldn't walk. So I went in for an operation and they replaced both my knees. And then it, then it was my hips. I mean, I honestly couldn't, I couldn't get in, sit on the seat of the car and do that. I had to pick, pick my leg up and then pick the other leg up and then drive the car. 
So I had both my hips replaced at the same time. And then my ankles wore out. I can take you to places in our shopping malls where I remember walking there in pain, you know. And then they couldn't do both ankles together because then I couldn't walk at all. So I did one ankle, I had a boot on. I used to sleep with this boot on at night and turn over in bed and kick myself on the shin. It was sore. So I know what pain is. However, as I sit here now, I can walk. I mean, I walk carefully, as you can see. I've got no pain. The Lord healed me, but he didn't heal me the way I wanted him to. You know, I mean, it's like old Naaman. When, yeah. when Elisha said, Elisha didn't even come out. You know the story, I'm sure you've heard it. And old Naaman was as mad as a snake. He said, well, why didn't he come out and wave a wand over me? Or, no, or at least give us, give me clear water give me in clear my water own country. Yes, yes. And then his servant talks sense into him. You need someone with you that can talk sense into you when you want to go off the track. Yeah. Who can say no to you? You need someone like that. And his servant says, but he didn't ask you to do something difficult. Just go and get in the river, Jordan, and dip seven times. And I love that. My dad used to do Sunday school. He dipped once and he looked and it was still there and he dips two, three, four, five, six times, and he said, oh, yeah, I don't know if this is working. But he says seven. Seven times he comes up with the skin of a new baby. Wow. So I've had to learn to trust God with uh, healing and only believe. You know, you, you need to, you've heard Pastor John preach on this vividly. What does it mean to believe? So I found a verse in the Bible which I can't, which thrills me and challenges me like nothing on earth. In John 14, verse 12, Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll do what I do and greater works. Well, I don't even know what the greater works are. That verse, that's why I've, I went to the PLA and I got a little uh, plank and I, and I put the letters only believe on it and I stuck it on the wall in my study with plastic. And every time I sit there, I look at these words and it says only believe. And every time I see only believe, I think of John 14, 12. Jesus, you know what faith is? You become just like Jesus. You know, in Romans 8, in Romans 8 it says, he's the firstborn among many brethren. Hey, he wants to look at every person in this church right now and say, you're just like Jesus. You talk like him, you walk like him, you love like him, you give like him, you, you, you heal the sick and you raise the dead. Hey, you heard what Pastor John said uh, two nights ago. Hey, we trust God for miracles Amen. and have that sense of expectation. So, you know, when I say only believe, um, it's just another quick scripture that I've memorized. Let me say this to you. Memorize the scriptures. Another story just pops into my head. My dad, remember those old tape recorders with the tape? He had a testimony of a missionary who was in communist China when the communists took over. And they, they took a Catholic priest, they took a nun, they took a Jewish rabbi and this pastor and threw them into jail and and try to brainwash them. They would put him in a chair with spotlights in his eyes. And then they would repeat communist slogans to him. Until such time 
And I heard him, I heard him say this. I didn't read this in a book. Until such time as he didn't, he didn't know who he's, you talked about Pastor Jerry. Yeah. He didn't know who he was. He, couldn't, he didn't know what his name was. He didn't know what his wife's name was. He didn't know where he was. And, and the, the, the Catholic priest uh, trying to explain the rosary, I'm not being derogatory now, went mad. Right. And they shot him. And so did the Jewish rabbi. Huh. And while, his name is Leslie Millen, I remember huh. his name. While he's sitting there, he starts to say, my times are in thy hands. My times are in thy hands. My time, and the, the interrogator says, hey, what are you saying? He is, I think it's Psalm 31 verse 5. He was quoting from a psalm that he didn't remember where the psalm was, but he learned it in church on Sunday school somewhere. That's all that was in his mind. I actually did this with a group of young people in that same church we started in. <clears throat> you know, I said, no, okay, the communists are coming in, they're going to take over. How much of the word of God have you got in you? You were talking about the Ukraine and Russia. All you and I have got to face the enemy is the word of God. I'm not preaching at you now. <clears throat> this is the gospel truth, excuse me. So the interrogator said, where did you get that from? In my Bible. Go fetch his Bible. Somebody went and they found his Bible somewhere. And I don't know about you and your Bible, but I can sort of open it on the book that I, I'm so used to. It. Normally, if you open the Bible in the middle, you're in socks, unless you've got a big concordance at the back. He didn't know, he said his eyes wouldn't focus because of the spotlights. And he sat there for until his eyes could focus. He put his, he put his finger down and he said, my times are in thy hands. The interrogator came into his house that night, gave his heart to the Lord. And I know this sounds terrible. The communists took the interrogator and murdered him. He got saved because of my times are in my hands. So you've heard this man preaching his heart out. Hey, if you don't meditate in the word, if you ever get into a situation like that, you've got nothing in your head except my times are in thy head. I mean, how great, how great is that? Can I add to that? Yes, John? please. Um, when I had the stroke 24 years ago, um, they don't know why I had the stroke, but I ended up in hospital with my left-hand side not being able to function. In fact, they came to me and said, do you want to use your left hand or do you want to walk? And I said, sorry, that's not an option for me. I want both. But I can still remember, I'm still human. I can remember that night lying in the hospital bed and thinking, God, why me? I'm in the ministry, I'm working for you. What's happened here? But I learned that night that I could have gone into a pity party and gone on a downward spiral. And so I had to say, I will take every thought captive to Christ. Amen. And you know what? I then went home when I eventually went home um, and they had to teach me to walk again. They had to teach. I, after I got home, trying to peel a potato with this left hand that won't hold a potato and yeah, 
God knows. But it was a step-by-step journey, not only doing my spiritual, uh, my physical exercises. I had to use spiritual exercises too, of learning the words. I looked up Exodus 15:26. I looked up all the scriptures on healing that I could find. Um, but the one that became my scripture is uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 17, which says, I will restore your health and heal your wounds, says the Lord. So now, when I go and pray for the people in hospital or wherever they are at home, sick, that's the scripture I use. Because that's the scripture that became a rhema to me. I had to take that scripture and every time I felt like I can't do this anymore, I remember marching left, right, left, right down the, the driveway, trying to walk again. Then I think, yes, I've done it. And the physio said to me, okay, go backwards now. <laughs> and I fell over. I couldn't go backwards. I had to retrain my brain to go backwards. But you know what? The word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it goes down deep between soul and spirit and bone and marrow. And the doctors don't even know where the bone and marrow start and, and end. But the word of God does. And the word of God can go down there and minister to you. And I believe when I went to one of the specialists, another specialist, after I'd had the stroke, he said to me, are you sure you've had a stroke? I said, don't ask me. Ask the neurologist who, who saw me in hospital. He said, well, you've made a remarkable recovery. Amen. That's God. That's our God. But it's the word of God that's alive, that brings that healing, that nothing can stop it. There was a lady in our church, and we were ministering in Ranfontaine at the time, and she'd had a stroke exactly a month before me. And I remember visiting her in hospital and helping her. And this poor lady had had, I, can't, I think it was um, her left leg. She'd had polio as a child, and the stroke had effect, affected her right side. So now neither leg worked properly. But I'll give that lady 110% for trying to walk again. But sadly, she never walked again. She's in a wheelchair. Her hand clawed, which is what you've got to be careful of. But you know what? She's, she asked me one day when we went to visit her after I'd had the stroke, how come God healed you and not me? I don't know why. But I do know that the word of God was what became my life source in that stage. Yeah, I still believe <laughs> I think I think uh, something that we're we're learning here and if you haven't uh, if you haven't detected it yet in both of their lives you are hearing that it's the word of God it's the love for God it's the love for God's people it's the love for the house of God for the people in the house of God is really what they have lived in their lives all these years. Amen. And, uh, you know, sometimes when I'm, when Pastor Sharon and I and Pastor Christy and Garth and whoever's preaching here, you know, um, sometimes when we're ministering, sometimes we, we feel like 
we know you're getting it, but, but this is the biggest deal in your life. It's not your job. It's not the work that you do. It's the God that you serve. Amen. It's the God that you have relationship with. It's the biggest deal. It's the biggest deal. It's not, some, it's not somebody that you just fit into your life. Right? Not a hobby. It's not a hobby. It's not somebody that you just fit in your life when it's convenient. And when I'm giving you this much time, and, I'll, and that's how much time I'll give you, and, uh, and I'll be disciplined, and, I'll, and I will read my Bible, and I'll pray. And, uh, but when I'm done, the rest of the day is mine. You know, and a lot of Christians live like that. For the most part of, of my life when I grew up, I was aware that most Christians lived like that. Church was just something that people came to on a Sunday. And the pastor had to do everything and had to give amazing revelations and, and had to do all that stuff. Uh, but people, you know, there was this disconnect between the church, the relationship with God, and... Um, but praise God, we are making... Great strides towards changing that completely in our lives. That God is everything to us personally, individually, every moment, every day, every way. Hallelujah. And Praise I think, if, I, if you don't mind me saying yeah. something, that we don't all start as a pastor. And John has grown, Pastor John has grown into that. Uh, I remember yeah. as a little child, uh, we can tell you some little stories about how he got up to mischief, and he didn't want to sit in the meetings, and <laughs> I know he's got a halo now. <laughs> but it's something I think that we've got to recognize. Um, before I married Andy, we were in Summit House in Bromfontein, and I went to Teachers Training College in Bromfontein. So during some of my free time, uh, free periods or whatever, I would go down to Summit House and they would be having a minister's meeting. And we didn't have um, a kitchenette on the third floor. We had the bathrooms. So if we wanted to wash the cups and saucers that the ministers had used, we had to put them into a zinc bath and then we'd drag it to the lift and take it up to the next floor, wash them, and then bring them back down again. And I, I think John doesn't even know that now. No, no. But that was something that I used to do. And when people say, but, you know, how have you become who you are? It starts with washing the cups and the saucers. Somebody's got to do it. And you know what? Somebody in the church might not see you, but God does. And he sees your faithfulness. And he sees those little things. Someone's got to clean the toilets. Someone's got to put up the decorations, and they're beautiful. Someone's got to do the car park attendant. Someone's got to be an usher. God sees your faithfulness in those things that you do. Sorry, Pastor. No, no, thank you. That's, that's uh, amazing. I mean, you, you all know that I served our, my pastor, Pastor Ray, for 19 years and did a lot of stuff. And then so people say to me, well, well, you know, how did I get to have these relationships with Jerry Savelle, Kenneth Copeland, and all these wonderful men of God, you know? I can only say that there's a legacy of prayer 
legacy of faith in our, in our line, but at the same time, I had to be faithful. I had to serve. I had to serve in the way that God wanted me to serve my pastor. Because even though there was a legacy of, of faith and wonderful men that God used in our family, if I didn't learn faithfulness, the way that Penny learned faithfulness, same thing. Yes. Then we disqualify ourselves and we discount ourselves to be able to do things for God that He wants us to do. And He, will, he only will do it on the back of being a servant because that's what He said right in the end before He died. I have to serve you. Yes. You have to let me serve you. Yes. Otherwise, you can have no part of me. And so, it's not, a, it's not something that you look down on. It's something to actually elevate as, as a powerful launching pad of what God wants for your life. Now, we have this tendency to think, if you're serving in the church, well, you're, not, you, you're still in the, in the throes of making it. So, that's why you're still serving. But that's not what it is at all. Serving is required forever. Amen. I just serve you now in a different way. Can I just comment? I did a, when I went to Bible school, we studied the book of Mark. The book of Mark is a book of action. I think the word immediately appears like 42 times, depending on your translation. But the central verse of the book of Mark is Mark 10.45. It says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus started washing cups in the kitchen. Exactly. And ended up dying for humanity. I mean, yes. No, I mean, that's, that's as powerful as it gets in Christianity. Serving is just the way it is. You know, um, it's marvelous. It was, a, it was an absolute joy for both Pastor Sharon and I. You know, when we spent time with Brother Jerry and Carolyn Sabal over this time that we were in America, uh, we, we, had an, we had a unique opportunity to be around them in a, in a more social environment. And, uh, you know, Carolyn Sabal just wanted to make sure that, can I make you some tea? Can I make you some coffee? Can I make you something, you know, and Brother Jerry, you know, he jumped up out of his chair and he went to the fridge and he said, uh, and he comes back with a box and in this box is his favorite ice cream and so he didn't give us a choice, you have to eat my favorite ice cream and so we ended up eating fudgicles, chocolate fudgicles. Chocolate and fudge in an ice cream. It's amazing. But it's, a, it's amazing that, you know, when he's, when he's around me and we're in a, in a church setting, it's my, it's my joy, it's our joy to serve him. But in a social and a, and a more relaxed environment, in his home, he did everything to want to serve us. And Carolyn wanted to serve us because... It was just an expression of their love that they wanted to show us, you know, in that moment, their own walk with God requires them to do that. And still, still now, it's a remarkable thing that we commented on, you know, that Jerry Savelle has been with Kenneth Copeland in ministry for 53 years. 
And for the last three years, he's been traveling now with Kenneth Copeland and giving his time and paying his own way, paying for his own hotel bills and everything to serve Brother Copeland, even though his ministry is what it is in its own right. He, he, has, he has been obedient to God to serve Brother Copeland. And so he goes and he spends these weekends with Brother Copeland. And uh, you never stop serving. It's what Jesus did for us. He died for us. And so we have this tendency to think that if, you, if you're serving in the church, that this is like your, your, your training program. You know, it's like your training ground. And if you haven't, and if you're not preaching yet, and you're still serving, then you haven't made it. But the reality is, is that it doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God, you're always needing to serve. Because it's the foundation of love. Love and serving work together. Hallelujah. And I didn't want to preach, but there I started preaching. Anyway. <laughs> I took off again. I took off again. <laughs> Andy, you wanted to talk, and we had some conversation about it. Are you guys still okay? Are you still with us? Are you sure? Yes. I'm, wanting you to, I'm wanting you to say maybe not because maybe they're going to reveal a secret about me that I don't remember or something, you know. But they've been very kind to me so far today. But I know he want, you wanted to share something about the overcomer. And I wanted to mention, you know, when, when Pastor John invited us to come here, I mean, he talked about us renewing our relationships. When his mother died, She said to me, look after my children, huh. and I haven't. No. And he said he wasn't going to cry today. <laughs> I asked the Lord to help me not to, but he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He cried yeah. at, our fun at, at our wedding too, so don't worry. <laughs> now I'm used to him doing this. You've done good today. You, I mean, I we're almost nearly at the end here, and <laughs> the first time you cried. No, uh, yeah. You know, you know, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Yeah. Two words. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about serving, you know, live, meeting MP and living with Garth and Miranda. I can't remember when last I, the two of us, were ever treated with such... Kid loves. I don't know how to describe it. I'm, I'm still sitting on a cloud because you guys have learned you're, you are par excellence service. And may that be a hallmark, trademark of your church. Amen. We serve. Amen. We don't argue Amen. about it. We just do it. Yes. And I'll tell you something. God misses nothing. And when you're looking for someone to promote, you find the people that are serving in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, every now and then I pop in there and I talk to Matthew and his team and they all smile at me. I thought, wow, you look so pretty when you smile, eh? Have you noticed? Anyway, I, uh, I'm going to be brief, I promise, but <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm a Mayben Dixon, you know. <laughs> I'm just sharing with you, this is not a sermon. I live by these words. 
I stuck him on the wall in my study. The, the word is overcomer. Afrikaans is the word winner. It means we don't go under. We are not submarines. We're going over. And pardon me saying this, come hell or high water, we're going over because Jesus said so. Yes. And I, it depends on the translation, you've got some of them say victorious or I like word winner. It, it sounds good to me. Yes. I'm an overcomer. And in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, those Jesus now, this is, by the way, the glorious Jesus. This is not gentle Jesus from Nazareth yeah. who was born in a stable. Yeah. This is not Jesus hanging on a cross. By the way, he's not on a cross anymore. No. Uh, 1 John 4, 17, John the Beloved says, As he is now... So are we. Yeah. Can you get your little mind around that? <laughs> this is the glorious Jesus. You can't even look at him. And he said, as he is now, so am I. Hey, doesn't that give you a, a shot in the arm to say, I'm a son of the living God. Yes. And as he is now glorified. Yes. You know, that's the word that, I don't know when you preach on glory, but it's a word that we don't use in the English language often. When last did you say, hey, you look glorious? No, we don't talk like that. Glory is the, the energy mass that's in our God. That, that he said, Moses, I forgot to tell you, Moses in Exodus 33 said, show me your ways and show me your glory. I mean, if, if you sum up the rest of your life, take those two phrases Say, God, show me your, your ways. The way you do things, I want to do it like you. Yes. But I want exactly. to see your glory. And he said, okay, yes. I'll show you my ways, but glory, sorry, Moses. You can't handle my glory. Okay, I'm going to stand here behind a rock somewhere, and I'll cover you with my hand. And you walk in front of me, and you'll see the back, old English said, the backside of my glory. It does. And when Moses came off the mountain, the Israelites couldn't look at him. Yeah. He had to cover his face. Do you know what the Bible says in Romans 8 that you and I have been glorified? Yeah. Hey, do you feel glorified? Do you feel some kind of supernatural? You were talking last night about energy. Hey, get up and, you know, we're all blessed. Every one of you is so special. There's not another person out of seven billion people on planet Earth like you. Thank the Lord. I mean, <laughs> yes, thank the Lord. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I really didn't. No, no, thank the Lord. <laughs> Uh, well, he's got a sense of humor. That's what keeps him alive. Eh? So overcomers, I just want to read this to you. Um, seven times Jesus said to the seven churches in Asia, to him that overcomes, I'll give you a new name. All, all the basic needs of humanity are met here because we all want significance. We all want nice clothes. And we all want to live in a nice place. Come on. Don't you? Yes. You're going to get that in glory magnified a million times. He says, I will give you a new name. I'll let you eat from the tree of life. Wow. I mean, I was listening to Pastor Christie's message when she was 
summing up all the stuff that you and Pastor Sharon have taught. Every one of our human problems comes from which tree are you eating of? I don't care. I've meditated on this for years. Tree of life means God, I'm giving you dominion over the earth, but you eat from my tree to get the energy. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we could talk about that for hours, is when I want to do it my way. You know, Frank Sinatra, I want to do it my way. And at that, unfortunately, my way always ends in death. So, I mean, you were talking about life and death last night. Hey, death, the second death. In fact, one of the rewards here is you will not be touched by the second death. Yeah. That's, I almost, I'm going to ask you to repeat that, Andy. I mean, that's so significant. If you do it your way, it always yeah. ends in death. Yeah. Because it's not God's way. Yes. That always is yeah. love. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always, you know, a saying in our family, have, we have good ideas and God ideas. Yeah. Some good ideas work. Yeah. Some don't. Yeah. God ideas must always work. Always. And what I love listening to you talk and your, your church culture is, I want to hear what the Lord wants me to do. And I'm not preaching at you now. He can make you successful. I mean, you, last night you were saying, if God wants you to be a financier and give you millions, he'll just get ideas. I mean, God, uh, Bryn was telling us that last night, get ideas. Yeah. In other words, that's be still and know that I'm God. Yes. Because when you're still, you'll know what to do. You won't have to pray for three days and say, Lord, what do I do now? You'll just know. That's relationship, what you're talking exactly. about. Yeah, I covered exactly. that. I was lying in bed last night praying for today and saying, Lord, you know, what are your ideas? What do you think about this? Am I doing what you want me to do? I'll tell you one thing. I'm 78 now, and I pray for myself. God, am I doing what you designed me to do? Because you might have been very successful where you are, but one day when you stand in front of him, he's going to say, oh, man, you did a great job over there. I actually wanted you here. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not preaching at you now. That's where I live. I said, God, for the rest of my life, may it be the best of my life, but I want to do it your way. Um, he says that you and I will rule the nations. Can you get your mind around that? I don't even know which nations they are. Because in the millennium, I, I, I don't know all about it. But he said, you will sit on my throne. I said, that's a big throne. Use your imagination and think when Jesus said, you're going to sit on my throne and rule the nations. And I'm going to clothe you in white. Now, white means righteousness in the Bible. But boy, these are going to be white like you've never seen before. I mean, don't we... How many of you looked in the mirror before you came here? Don't put up your hand, because if you didn't, you should have. <laughs> you know, I try to brush my hair in a straight line. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. But you know what? He's going to dress you like you've never been dressed before. And you're going to look in the mirror and go, wow! Yes. I'm getting carried away here. And then he says, you will be citizens of heaven, and I will make you pillars in the temple of my God. I don't even know what that means. But you know what? If I'm going to stand there like a pillar and hold the roof up, then so, so be it. But isn't that exciting? If your Christianity needs a boost right now, 
Go and read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 and say, that's where we're going, man. Yes. But I want to be the best. Yes. You know, I understand he's been in the military. Hey, when I get to heaven, I don't want to be a corporal. I want to be a colonel. Does that make sense? Yes. I just, I, I don't know if that's sure. true, but it does No. I mean, that scripture that you, you're quoting from there, he actually talks about the overcomer's crown of life. Yes. And, yes. So, and so, if you're, as we are overcomers, we become colonels, if you like. Yes. Because, uh, because you get the overcomer's crown of life. Yeah. It's a specific crown, a crown. dedicated yeah. to you as an overcomer, the overcomer's crown of life. Everybody who is an overcomer with God's word, you overcome by your word, by the word of God, by the blood of the Lamb, and by your testimony. Yes. Yeah. You overcome by that. Yes. When you're an overcomer, you get the crown, overcomer's crown of life when you come before Him and stand before Him one day. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. Amen. Can I just mention too, um, John quote, Pastor John quoted that scripture, you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Um, we all have a testimony and we must all be ready at all times to give our testimony wherever it is because no one can, can deny your, your testimony. They That's can right. argue about your uh, theology and that. Or your philosophy or whatever, yes. but your life yeah. testimony. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Once I was, I couldn't walk and now I can walk. Yes. That's my testimony. Yes. How? By the... By the grace of God. But I also want to say that some years back, um, God gave me the word overcomer for the year. And I thought, Lord, that's a funny word to give me. Because I realized in studying it that to be an overcomer, you have to have trials to overcome. And we only do that through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can only overcome the tests and the trials and the tribulations of this life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. I want to just say something I forgot. Um, <coughs> I, I was, I told you I've had my, my hips, my knees and my ankles replaced. Long before that happened, we went to a prophetic conference. I can't even remember the name of the church. And a, a, a young American prophet called Scott Webster, I don't even know where he came from. We all lined up for him to prophesy over us. And he said to me, you will run up and down stairs without pain in your ankles. And anytime I get a word like that, I write it down. By the way, that's one thing that I encourage you to do. Journal. Write your vision down. Because I'll tell you what I do. I've got stacks of pages that I've written down. And I'll tell you what I've learned. I will read something that I wrote in 1987 and I had a problem. And you know what? I've still got the same problem. You realize, hey, you had that, you've had that problem a long time. You're going to die with that problem unless you change something. Are you with me? Your little life story, do you, how well do you remember it? What are the things that you still want to overcome? I think that's, that's, a, that's a critical thing. Just, I'm going to just close this little thing with a, a funny part. In, in Romans 8.37, Paul writes and he says, we are more than conquerors. Mm. The Greek word is supernikeo. And I looked that up because, you know, one of the problems we've got is to understand what all these words mean. And the best example I could think of 
I don't know about you, don't think that I'm, I'm naughty, but I love watching good boxing. I mean, that's, I, very, I, I, that's very naughty. That's naughty, yeah. Huh? <laughs> I, I, I watched Muhammad Ali, I don't know, 10 fights, and then I realized Rocky Marciano, the undefeated world heavyweight. Anyway, the funny part that I want to tell you is these guys go in the mm. ring and they get hammered. I mean, when you watch two heavyweights hitting each other, it's sore. And then one of them gets a million dollars, and he goes home and gives it to his wife. She's more than a conqueror. <laughs> he came home all bashed. She just got the, the, the million dollars. I just, something, you see, Jesus got bashed for you. So that you can get the million dollars. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Forgive my analogy. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. Even the Apostle Paul liked boxing. He did. Yeah. He did. He boxed himself. He did. Yeah, yeah. He did. <laughs> he says, I even beat myself daily. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm nearly finished. I'll just do one Yes. Minute. Yes. The, the last scripture was uh, much more. I have, I love those two words. I don't know what your Christianity looks like right now. But there's much more. I don't care how holy you are, how saintly you are, how anointed you are. There's much more. Because God wants me to be like him. And wow, he's big. That's Romans 5.17. And it's an incredible verse, actually. You've talked about grace last night. He says, it starts off, and I wrestled with this with God because I said, Lord, you know, Adam disobeyed you. Yeah, you smacked him because he, he was disobedient. But you and I, every one of us in this room, were born with a chronic disease called sin. And if you haven't found out, you're going to find out quickly. There's, have you ever taught your children to be naughty? No. Why? Because they, they're born naughty. I'm just saying this. But it's true. So I, I've said to the Lord often, Lord, that's not fair. I didn't ask to be born like this. Show me the truth of this thing, because you don't make mistakes. There's nothing happened that you didn't plan. Amen? You better believe God's a great planner. Yes. So he says, in spite of the fact that you were born with a sinful nature because of Adam's sin, how much more so those who receive the gift of God's grace, he actually says abundant grace, and the gift of righteousness reign in life through Christ Jesus. Hey, you know what? We are the royal family. You were born to rule and reign in Christ Jesus. Amen. You were never meant to be under the circumstances. And I know I'm talking to someone here because I'm talking to myself and we're all human beings, aren't we? Hey, the times that I feel like I'm under the circumstances, I need to remind myself about much more. Yes. Hey, and I don't care where you are financially or in your health. Oh, I was going to tell you that I'm still living with running up and down stairs without pain in my ankles. Yes, amen. You know, I like to hold on to things when I walk upstairs like living in your house. But you know what? I'm going to run up and stairs, up and down stairs, because God says so. It looks like it's almost impossible, but it can't be. No. So I don't care how old you are or how young you are, it's never too late. Exactly. For much more. Yes. Amen.
So I, I see that that um, uh, we wanted to talk about uh, Smith Wigglesworth uh, yes. and uh, and uh, Willie Burton. Yes. However you want to, however you want to go about sharing that. Yeah, I know. Well, I've, I've, you know, it's amazing how the Lord leads me to buy books. I go to the library and have book sales. I go to the Cryfontaine Library, if you know where that is. It's a, it's, it's, it's a sort of a low-level library, but I like the people. I read a lot. And when I find a book with any kind of blasphemy in it, when they say Jesus or Jesus Christ, and I'm very naughty, I take a pen and I, I, I obliterate that word. I do it in a library book. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> but, but <it's> in Cryfontaine. It's kind of but I go there and I tell you, I have picked up Christian books and they sell them for five rand each. I showed you that book, um, Andrew Murray's book, The Secret of, I paid five rand for that. Huh. But there, there, are, there are books that, it's amazing if the Lord will lead you which books to buy and which books to read. Really? Do you think he's interested in what you read? I, I think he is. But so, before you go on, uh, Andy, the book that you're referring to that you bought five rand, Andrew Murray, yeah. the title of that book is The Secret of Authority. Authority. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's significant for us in this ministry. Yeah. But anyway, you want to carry on with, with what you've read in Smith Wiggles. I'm nearly, I'm nearly finished, I yes. promise you. The Secrets <laughs> of Authority. Yeah. He, he's circling now. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to learn how to land this. <laughs> it's a family thing. So we read every morning, Penny and I, I make breakfast for her because we both eat oats porridge. <laughs> and we, we read Smith Wigglesworth daily reading. Smith Wigglesworth, and I couldn't find that photograph I wanted to show you. I've got a picture of him sitting on our back veranda in Krugersdorp with my grandmother, my German grandmother, who came from Schleswig-Holstein. I was three when she died, so you never knew her. But um, Smith Wigglesworth gave his heart to the Lord when I said when he was about eight or nine, like I did, sitting on our back veranda, but he was a plumber. He was not a sophisticated person. He could barely read. His wife taught him to read, and the only, Bible, only book he ever read was the Bible. He said, see if you can catch me without a New Testament or a Bible in my pocket. But a remarkable man, he raised the dead. He raised his wife from the dead. And she sat up in the bed and said, Smith, it's so nice there. Please let me go. I mean, he, he, he healed cancer. He, I'll tell you something that I, I, I want, and I want it for all of us. He said that he would get on a railway coach, and two ministers from another church would get into the coach, and he didn't say a word to them, and they would say to him, your presence convicts me of sin. And he started preaching and the whole railway coach would get saved. He was going on a ship to New Zealand and they came to him and they said, we're having a concert tonight. Uh, would you like to join in? And they said, well, what can you do? He says, I can sing. So they didn't know what he was going to sing. And he got up and he sang, what a friend we have in Jesus. And they came to him afterwards and said, you wrecked the concert. <laughs> I don't know how many people came to his cabin to get saved. Can I say this to you? You remember that um, 
lady with the hemorrhage and said, if I could just touch him. Do you know that you and I as human beings can be so anointed that if people touch you or you touch them, there'll be a divine impartation of healing. I was stuck there, John. Amen. Hey, Amen. wow, man. Amen. That's the potential that's available to us. But I just want to tell you about my friend Willie Burton. I didn't read about him in a book. I went to a Bible school in, in Norwood, and Willie Burton was then in his 83, 84. He started a thousand churches in the Belgian Congo. He was the first white man that a lot of those cannibals had ever seen. I mean, he would sit with me. I'm just a little Bible school student. Sit next to me on the grass. And he used to do tricks with peanuts for kids. I mean, he was a... And then he told me stories. He said, they're walking down this jungle path in the Congo and uh, with a couple of lady missionaries. And he, he listens to the cannibals talking and they said... This, this one lady missionary is a little plump. I think we'll eat her first. I heard him say that. They come into a little village, and they've never seen a white man before, and they into the bush. But there's this old crippled lady sitting there who can't run. So he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, well, heal her. So he heals this old lady. She jumps up, and they all come out of the bush, and the old village gets saved. I mean, what a man. So I was, you know, I was sitting on the grass with him and listening to him telling me stories. And I thought, what an incredible thing. Why well, I want to tell you this if this, uh, Pastor John was going to pray for sick people. He had got very ill in the Congo and he came down to the general hospital in Joburg, went into the specialist room and the specialist examined him and said, you have got terminal cancer of the colon. That's your main intestine. And Willie Burton said to him, well, can you do anything about it? He says, sorry, it's terminal. So he said, okay, I'm going, if I'm going to die, I want to go die in the Congo where God called me. And I'm not sure how he got there, but he used to go, he went on a train. train. Yeah, train. He did. Yeah. And he kept saying to him, he had a nurse in attendance, and he kept saying, but Jesus stops I'm healed. But Jesus stops I'm healed. He told me this. And the nurse came to him and said, Mr. Burton, is there something you want? He said, no, I'm just taking my medicine. Back in the Congo, he's got tubes, his bowels aren't working, I mean, nuxet gewerk. He reached that point where his faith, and I'll tell you something about faith. Faith reaches a discharge level. And the best I can think of is something like an electric current. Do you know that when certain things get to a certain level, there's an explosion? He reached that point where the Lord said to him, pull the tubes out. He pulled all the tubes out. I'll tell you something else about him. The Lord gave him another set of teeth. Because there's no dentist in the Congo, I'll show you. I thought, wow. You know, he, his teeth wore out. I don't know how old he was then. And he prayed for more teeth and he got a whole set of new teeth. Sure. So you know what he did? When he came back to South Africa, he went into the general hospital and he went to that surgeon and the surgeon nearly fell off the chair. He says, Burton, is it you? Can I examine you? He says, yeah, you pay for the x-rays. <laughs> Nothing wrong with him. I, you know, he was about 84 when he died 
And I'll tell you how he died. He was sitting on the veranda of somebody's house that was hosting him, and his heart just stopped. He just went to sleep on the chair. Hey, that's the way to die. I'm not talking about dying. I'm talking about miracles in this man that I knew. He was part of our family in that sense. So, it God was, bless you. It was a real great joy for me to, to, to hear because when, when we were talking yesterday, I didn't know that Andy had had this relationship with William Burton. But William Burton had a relationship with my dad and stayed in our house m many times. And, uh, um, but I was just a little boy then, you know, and, and I, I remember him because, the, because there was a, an anointing, there was a presence of, of the Holy Spirit upon him, you know. And, but also he would do these tricks with, he talked about the peanut tricks, he would do tricks with, with money and fetch coins behind his ear and fetch it behind your ear and, you know, little tricks that he would do. I suppose that he just did that to break the ice wherever he went, you know. But, but I, um, one, of the, one of the things that, I, that when, my, when my dad died that I requested before he died, uh, the, um, I said, Dad, one day when you go, he had a, a, a water painting that William, William Burton did. And it's one of the things that he enjoyed to do was to, was to do water, watercolor paintings. And, he had done a watercolor painting for my dad, and that's one of the things that I have, is, the, is that watercolor painting. But praise God, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing, you know, that we have such great, great legacy. And, um, well, it's been a joy for me to hear some of, this, some of the... I just past. have one thought for us, and I think you were preaching about it last night. God wants to use what you've got. All he wants you to do is, I think you mentioned the loaves of the fishes. Or, yeah. That story, I was reading, uh, doing some research on it. When it says 5,000 men, it actually means 5,000 families. Yeah. There were like 30,000 people there. And the fascinating thing is the disciples, and I heard a guy, you know, you know what disciples are like? When, they, when the preacher preaches too long and they got together and, they, and John said to Peter, you know, Peter, I think we better tell him he's going on a bit long here and these people are hungry. Oh, not, not you. You but guys you know don't I mean? do that, right? Yeah, no. These people are hungry. Uh, uh, okay, John, you go and talk to him. So John goes there and says, you know, Lord, excuse me, he's preaching. Jesus is preaching. Excuse me, Lord. Um, Peter told me to tell you something. <laughs> I don't know what he did. But I mean, I think Jesus had a wonderful sense of humor. Sure. And, and, and yes, yes, um, John. Well, you know, it's getting late. And uh, no pick and pay around here, no checkers, um, no steers. Uh, don't you think you better tell these people to go home? They're angry. He looks at him and he says, you feed them. I said, wow. You know, it's like him pointing his finger at me or you and say, you meet the need. And in fact, in the original language, it means you can meet that need because I'm here. Wow. Hey, what a story. Yes. And my, my first name is Andrew. Um, 
and I, and I love that when I read the list of the disciples, that's me. Angel. Beloved. I'm the beloved. You just angel. You were the one who told Jesus about uh, let the people eat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but Andrew, there's nothing much in the Bible about Andrew. <laughs> but somehow he had some faith. Yeah. Maybe this much. And Jesus said, what have you got? You feed them. And, uh, and Andrew, I don't know what he did, whether he grabbed the skit with the, with the fish and chips sandwiches or whatever. Yeah. And this little guy said, okay, you must have given it to him. He said, this is all we've got. Jesus said, well, that's all I need. This is for somebody here yeah, today. It's for me too. The little bit I've got. Is more than enough if I give it to Jesus. And of course, Jesus is organized. So sit them down in 50s and 100s. You can imagine 30,000 people. I mean, if you've ever been to Ellis Park or one of these big stadiums, what an organization. Then, he, then the, the miracle of this whole thing, I mean, this is very funny. He breaks the five loaves and two fish and gives each disciple a piece. You must know, clone stuck is there. And I can imagine a, a Peter going along to the first guy and said, hey, take a little piece. And when he got to the end of the row, hey, he still had a little piece. Do you know the multiplication did not come in Jesus' hands. It came in the disciples' hands. When they started to give, and I mean, you know, giving church. I mean, you guys are so generous here, you blow me away. When they started to give, the bread and the fish started to multiply, and they picked up 12 baskets full. I think he did that just to say, each disciple, look what we started with and look what I can give you. I don't know what the little boy took home, but imagine the story he told his mother. I mean, use your, those Bible stories, are, you must use and, your imagination to. And his friends. Because yes. he was a little boy. He's a little boy, yeah. Yeah, maybe who, 10 years old because he wasn't yet a young man. No. So he must have been under the age of 12 to be yeah. called a little boy. That's right. So he go and tell his friends, you know what happened to me? Yeah, so I just want to bless you with that. Yeah. I believe I've got a five loaves and two fish, so have you. Yeah. But if you give it to Jesus, 30,000 people, I believe there's somebody sitting here right now that maybe that's just for you, that God's going to take your five loaves and two fish and feed thousands of people. Amen. Why not? Amen. Imagine this congregation, we could change South Africa. You believe that? I do. Hey, we're not just stuck away here somewhere. I know. Hey, what you were preaching last night, I don't care what the Americans do or President Biden or Vladimir Putin or Zelensky, whatever his name is. Hey, you and I, like Elijah, can one man, one man, stand up and say, by my word, yes. it shall not. not. Yes. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Amen. You want to say something in closing, Penny? I think I've landed. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> but it's been wonderful meeting you all. And really, as Andy, I can only reiterate what Andy said. We have been blessed and blown away by the smiles that people have greeted Amen. us with, with the friendliness with seeing the excellence in this church. 
and we were chatting to Bryn this morning, and he says, when somebody says to him, how are you? He says, I'm excellent. I like that. I'll take it home, Bryn. Do you mind? <laughs> because we do everything to serve the Lord in an excellent way. And Amen. well done for being such a good example. Amen. Well done. The European Union well, actually, I wanted, I wanted to close in prayer, but that is adequate. The Yerra Sienyo Yella Reiklik. And so come back later, and Andy's going to be preaching to us this afternoon. Hallelujah. Why don't you just give them a hand and say thank you very much, Andy and Penny. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you later, everybody. Bless you all. Thanks for your time. Wasn't that wonderful? You got to, you got to know a little bit more about me. So I'm hiding them away so you can't ask them too many questions about me as a little boy or whatever. You know.